morning and welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, November the 18th. We appreciate you uh, stopping by the show this morning. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. way out west. If you're up at Adam this early in the morning, thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone had a good weekend. Um, News, uh, you know, it's an international break this weekend. And so we're not getting all of the, uh, you know, the Premier League and La Liga and other updates. But uh, there was some news. Uh, Friday night, U.S. hosted Canada in Orlando. And um, Canada, I actually didn't feel play... As bad as the score indicated, but they certainly didn't play uh, as confident as they did up in Toronto. And uh, the U.S., quite frankly, were terrible. Um, 36% possession, I believe. Um, And, uh, you know, at home, couldn't keep the ball, looked awful, had uh, a couple... Uh, you know, fortunate goals against the run of play. Um, you know, at this level, obviously you want results. Results matter more than anything, and that's fine. But um, there was nothing about Friday night's performance that was a reprieve towards fixing this. Um, style of play, execution of play, um, standard of play. There was... There was nothing there. I mean, it was one of those nights where, you know, everything just kind of goes right for you in the end. And uh, I I felt like, you know, that's what it looked like Friday night. It just was not an impressive performance. Um, And I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it did anything to alleviate the pressure on, on Burhalter. That was a home match against Canada. uh, And, they still didn't look very good. So, um, that was Friday night. The other things that, that happened that were kind of over the weekend, continuing to see attendance surge in England with the, uh, women's professional league there. And that's, that's a problem for the U S uh, Sam Kerr left the NWSL to uh, to go join Chelsea and play in that league. Uh, so that that whole you know environment set up the money that's coming in over there is going to be a problem uh, for the NWSL and 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 women's professional soccer in this country uh, if we don't get some things fixed. And one of the problems with the system uh, for the women's side is that it is the same uh, issue that we see on the men's side. And, uh, and that is that you have a system, a single entity system. And that means that you're buying into a league. You're you're not buying a team, you're buying into the league. And then as an owner operator in the league, you are then, you know, granted the ability to, to run a team 
in that league. And that is a gatekeeper system. And the way that the U.S. is set up uh, on the men's and women's side means slow growth. It means a cap on excellence. It means that your league, as much as you don't want it to be, whether perceived or real, is addicted to mediocrity. And when you have open systems, open things up, and the market responds as it is responding in the UK, in in England, you have trouble. You have trouble because you cannot compete. Um, it's it is just it is nearly impossible for you to compete in that kind of uh, kind of setup. So, um, so you're seeing this this movement with the the women's game. the The momentum is shifting to Europe from the U.S. We still have, you know, the the biggest women's national team, the best women's national team in the world. There's no doubt about that right now. But our league is in trouble. And, uh, and then to top that off, news this weekend that the USL is looking at creating a competing league um, for women's professional soccer, a competing league with the NWSL. And a lot of people have kind of solved that news and, and, and said, man, that's a bit of a head scratcher. What is going on? What is going on with, with uh, the league? Why would the USL choose to launch a first division women's professional league? And why would it try to compete with the NWSL? Um, there's, there's a few things, a few possibilities that I see uh, on this. The first is that the way the professional league standards are written in their present form, if you are a USL championship owner, you qualify to be a first division women's owner. The way that the the restrictions are written, the women's professional league is very similar standards-wise to the USL Championship. Now, the professional league standards in and of themselves are really poorly written. Um, They are excessively restrictive and don't place the focus on soccer operations. They instead place the onus on how much an individual is worth even if that person doesn't know what they're doing in soccer. It's a really poor setup. Many have speculated and it's in, in, and this is, you know, in the legal process right now as well. It's been, it's being disputed that some of these restrictions are, um, monopolistic, anti-competitive and set up to keep, uh, people out, which keeps, uh, a protection, uh, and creates what I call artificial scarcity f- for asset uh, and equity value for Major League Soccer. But in this setup, if you are you know, qualifying to be a USL championship owner, um, 
And so that means that you, your individual net worth has got to be at least uh, $20 million. Um, and that excludes, you know, your personal residence and your ownership stake in the club. So you got to be worth, you know, a good amount of money. Then you could operate in the second division of professional soccer on the men's outdoor uh, professional league set of standards. That is also pretty much the same kind of setup for the women's first division. So that's one thing that you, you already have kind of this crossover that the, the USL championship owners are, um, you know, essentially first division women's uh, qualified. So some people look at that. Secondly, uh, another aspect is that the USL's business model is a business model built on franchises. And so the way that that model works is that USL is owned by a couple people as a league. The clubs don't own the league. The clubs purchase a franchise to operate within the league. And that's how the league makes its money are these franchise fees. So they're looking at the growth of women's soccer saying, hey, let's sell some franchises. Um, and our USL championship owners are already qualified for first division. So let's just have them start opening up women's leagues. If you look at the pattern of the USL, they're, they are trying to capture the entire market and they are competing with major league soccer to, to, to do the same. And, uh, the USL's run, you know, run out plans, uh, in the last few months about their own kind of youth academy setup, And, um, and, and this seems to be following suit that now they're going to try to go after this, that, they're basically at this point trying to take everything that major league soccer hasn't gone after yet. So the USL championship, USL league one, USL league two on the men's side there. It, it looks like now they want to make a play on the women's side and try to get everything and kind of box major league soccer in to just MLS on the, on the men's first division side, at least for now. That's, that's, the appearance from the outside. Um, and so, you know, the USL owners, the, these couple uh, individuals that own the, the league, it looks like they're viewing this as an opportunity to sell some more franchises, get in the, get in back into the women's league. Cause they used to run a professional league and, um, and, and want to compete head on with the NWSL, a little bit different, uh, set up than the NWSL. It's not single entity, but the clubs would not own the league. Those fees would go back to the USL. That's where the USL makes their money. And then the clubs would be buying the right to operate in a territory. It is a straight franchise system. So everyone is pretty familiar with, with franchises. If you eat at a McDonald's or a Subway or um, Burger King, you're, you're familiar with the franchise. So, um, same kind of setup here with the USL. And, and so that's another thing. Another aspect that, um, I don't know if, if, if you thought about when it comes to the USL and launching a first division league is there is a policy that is, uh, up for 
consideration at the next board meeting in a couple weeks and also up for affirmation and approval at the next AGM in February in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and this proposal that is before the board was, was put out by West Virginia, we mentioned it on the show. And that proposal is to give the women's professional leagues the same voting power as the men's in their respective divisions. So uh, just to give you an idea of what that would mean, it would mean that if Major League Soccer gets 5% of the overall vote in the election, that the NWSL, as the first division women's professional league, would also get 5% of the overall vote in the election that you cannot have gender discrimination as presently exists within the professional council. Um, some of the, the recent AGMs major league soccer's had nearly 15% of the overall vote in the election. And the NWSL has had less than 5%. So, major disparity there 75% to 25% voting power or a 3 to 1 voting uh, power um in favor of major league soccer over the NWSL so this policy amendment um would if if adopted would mean that the first division women's professional leagues would get the same voting weight as the men's professional first division leagues. And that would also carry on down to the second division. If there was a second division women's league and a second division men's league, they would get the same voting power um, at, at the divisional level. And then obviously that has to get split up between, you know, leagues that are operating at that level. So in the case of, men's outdoor professional third division there's two leagues right now operating usl league one in the in in nisa so they would split things at the third division level the second division level right now there's only the usl championship there's no women's league on the professional outdoor and there's no other second division men's league if the usl were to have the championship have usl league one in the professional council and they were to operate a first division women's professional league, they would be able to accumulate quite a bit of voting power within the professional council. Uh, so if this policy is passed and, and not a lot of people know that this policy is up for a vote yet, because it, ha- it hasn't really gone massively public yet. Um, then that could be kind of a a motivation for the USL to do this uh, because they could essentially get some first division voting power, have the USL championship and USL League One voting power, and collectively um, increase their overall voting power within the professional council. And if you're thinking, well, you know, how would they know? Well, at the last AGM, um, Alec Papadakis was added to the board of U.S. Soccer. He is um, the owner of the USL. So he and Don Garber are both on the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors. 
Um, I have problems with that for a variety of reasons, both, both of them being on the board of directors. But nevertheless, they're on the board of directors. They know they've received copies of this. They know this is up for a vote, so it doesn't surprise me if that is one of the motivating factors for the USL looking at these plans. In addition to the fact that the NWSL has been struggling for quite a while, it is not growing nearly at the pace that it should be, and I think it comes down to leadership and management. And I don't think it's I don't think it's being handled well enough to capitalize on the growth of the game. There is a major pinned up demand um, on the men's and women's sides of the game, and for the NWSL to come off of uh, another World Cup victory and only have you know nine teams and not really be aggressive about growing. Uh, everything's about tempered growth and measured growth. And eventually we will, we need to open up and let the market decide, let the market run their teams, operate a system and let the teams come in uh, and prove their worth rather than thinking we know what's best. The central management, central planning and control access is, is an issue and it's causing us problems and I think it's going to cause the NWSL problems if anything else if nothing else the USL making their intentions known might make the NWSL um, speed up their growth and also pay their players better even better than what they recently announced um because you're seeing pressure from Europe and now you're seeing pressure domestically with the USL. So it'd be curious to see uh, where that, uh, where that shapes up and, and how this all plays out. But uh, interesting news over the weekend, when we come back after the break, um, I want to get into a couple of things that we were talking about at the end of the week last week. And uh, we will do that right after this break, uh, after we have a, a word from uh, Ductic brand. Ductic is uh, the maker of some really cool coaching resources, journals, etc. And um, and one of the things that uh, they're also making right now is winter gear. If you don't have your winter gear, go to ductigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW and you will get 10% off of your order. Gear up. Winter is here for many of you around the country. And for those of you who it's not quite here yet, it's coming. So be prepared. Go to ductickbrand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW. You will get 10% off of your next order. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, November the 18th. Hope your weekend went well. Last night uh, was the USL Championship um, game, and it uh, it saw that the Real Monarchs, which is the USL Championship um, franchise of Real Salt Lake in Salt Lake City, uh, win the USL Championship uh, last night. And uh, congratulations to everyone at Real Monarchs. You won the opportunity to play yet again in the USL Championship next year. Um, Oh, wait, you could already do that. That's right. Our championship games don't matter that much because promotion and relegation is not involved. Um and it's a shame. It really is. It's a shame. It's a shame for um, clubs, communities, fans, players, coaches, that you're not getting the opportunity to win and move up. We, we have placed an artificial lid on the game in this country. And we have chosen this voluntarily. Decades ago, Warner Fricker threw out a plan, proposed an idea and a plan uh, of promotion relegation. And um, there seemed to be some buzz about it at the time. And then things got swept away. They got altered. And out of that came this Major League Soccer plan. It is a single-entity plan that that caps the growth of soccer on this country. As long as Major League Soccer is, is allowed to be in business with the Federation, as long as Major League Soccer is allowed to have board influence over the Federation in terms of its decision-making, and that goes across the board. We see it in rules with the the Development Academy. We see this in decisions made across the Federation. As long as Major League Soccer is given the ability to operate at the highest designation within men's professional soccer, outdoor soccer, they sit as the cap as the ceiling, as the lid on the men's outdoor professional game. Now, if you look at the way rules are written and the way U.S. soccer treats different levels, for the most part, divisional sanctions mean very little. The one or the few places where it matters is right now major league soccer being the first division men's professional outdoor has meant that they have been able to claim up until this point in most elections, most votes, 60% of the voting power by themselves within the professional council. That's a lot. One league 
every other professional league is is fighting for scraps. That's one detriment of the way that this setup is. Another aspect of Major League Soccer sitting on top of the the divisional sanctional levels is they get to be the de facto gatekeepers to the top. And even though in other countries being a first division really matters, television revenue, commercial sponsorship revenues really, really matter, first division versus the second division, the the discrepancy in the U.S. is not as large. People don't really operate that much with a distinction of professional soccer being major league soccer versus the USL. In the USL championship or back in the day, the NASL had done a better job or do or do a better job in the future of promoting their league and their clubs and their teams and build brand sponsorships and other things. The market, the public would not really be able to tell a difference. They would say it's all professional soccer. What does it mean? What does it matter? But as long as major league soccer is able to, to, to give off the perception that they are the best, even if it's only slightly so they are the lid. They depress the wage market. They sit at the top. They limit the growth of the game. Now, late last week, we rolled out a, or I shared an idea that that Chris Kessel and I have been going back and forth on for a very long time. This weekend, Alexi Lawless did what Alexi normally does, which is stir, stir up trouble and try to you know act like well why would a a billionaire voluntarily play in the second division why would they want to be in an open system number one it shouldn't be up to the billionaires it should be up to a federation that is looking out for the best interests of the sport in this country period now for the Sunil Galatis and Alexi Lawlesses of the world who like to get up and use this excuse that you can't move the goalpost, you can't change the operations on, on these owners who came into the league operating one way and now you're asking them to change. That is such a hypocritical comment. Go ask the leagues below Major League Soccer what changing the goalposts look like. You've done it to them. These same people that prop up MLS have stood by and watched goalposts get changed and cause issues for the leagues below them. So this idea that you can't do it because... You're, you might affect billionaires. Number one is a farce. Number two, you've already done it to others. So quit acting like it can't be done. It can be done. And lastly, in terms of changing the goalposts, 
It is written into the current version, the board approved version of the professional league standards that every league professionally sanctioned in this country has, I believe it is up to three years from the passing of a new set of standards or updates to those standards to get into compliance with the standards. So these owners came into a system understanding that the rules could be changed and they would have time to get in compliance with the changes. So quit acting like they can't handle it. They're billionaires for a reason. You don't accidentally become a billionaire. You might get lucky and win a lottery. Doesn't mean you're going to you, you know how to manage the money once it gets in. But you don't accidentally become a billionaire. You surround yourself with smart people. You figure out how to leverage opportunities. That's how you became a billionaire. So for any MLS owner operators that are looking at possible changes to the professional league standards and operating in an open system. And you're thinking you can't do that to them. I mean, what might happen? Well, we're seeing American wealthy billionaires and multimillionaires invest across the world, lower division, first division, we're seeing it across the world. Stu Holden, Kyle Martino, Steve Nash, they invest in Spain and they watch their club promote, promote, make it to La Liga, first division. You see Jordan Gardner invest in the third division in Denmark. Team's top of the league. They keep this up. They're going to get promoted to the second division. You've seen right now the most successful American ownership in all of Europe in Liverpool. Fenway Sports Group just won the UEFA Champions League. American owners. <laughs> this idea that billionaires can't figure it out and we got to handle them with, with tissue paper and powder puffs is just ridiculous. They'll figure it out. They'll be better for it. Certainly American soccer will be. There's such a line of garbage. These excuses uttered by Sunil Gulati and Alexi Lawless and others who, who talk about protecting billionaires from competition. What weak-minded garbage. When we look at the, the, the state of this country, the size of this country, I want to go back and reiterate some of the things that we talked about at the end of last week. This idea that, that Chris Kessel and I uh, have been discussing for quite a while is an idea that would basically grant Major League Soccer owner-operators. Now, they would have to alter their business plan, right? So they, they would know they would no longer be a part of a single entity. They would be their own individual teams in an open system. 
because God forbid one of them get relegated, they would they would they would go down. But number one, it'd be a while before that ever happened because you've got to have the that that division fill up, and you've got to have the divisions below them start to fill up as well, and and be viable. You can't just relegate a team down to nothing. So you also have to be building up the leagues below them, the divisions below the, that level. But one of the things we looked at is I throw this up on the screen is this idea of creating essentially four first division pyramids based on U.S. soccer's existing regional setup. Region one, two, three, and four, which is essentially an Eastern Super Conference a Midwestern Super Conference, a South Super Conference, and a Western Super Conference. So each of these kind of power conferences or super conferences would be operating as a a de facto first division for that part of the country. It would technically be sanctioned as a second division in our pyramid, but it would be the highest domestic table league style which just means that every team plays every other team in the league home and away so if you had 18 teams in each of these that would be 72 teams all operating as first division level quality type clubs last i checked major league soccer has been given a couple decade head start operating as a first division operation organization and they still don't even have half the number required for this setup i think that i think the mls owner operators would be plenty good in an open system like this with a head start that they've been given the collusion and, and, and business dealings they've already done with U.S. soccer with no-bid contracts, I think they'd be okay. And you split them up. You split up these MLS teams. They become independent organizations operating within their geographic zone. So Atlanta United is playing in Conference South. Orlando City, Inter-Miami, all in in the Super Conference in the South. Nashville, Super Conference in the South. FC Dallas, Houston, Super Conference in the South. Soon to be Austin, Super Conference in the South. Now all of a sudden you've got other markets, not in MLS, including other markets that already have MLS, that you're bringing in Really good markets, really good cities. You're opening things up. San Antonio, New Orleans, Charlotte, Jacksonville, Memphis. You're looking at the Carolinas. So you got not only Charlotte, but you got the triangle up there in Raleigh, Durham. You start to see this thing play out just looking at the, the, the Southern Super Conference here, First Division. 
You're like, wow, this is good. All these teams are playing each other in a season table style setup. Now, there's a there's a, a few really good things that come out of this. Number one, every year, you, if you finish in the top four in your, in your Super Conference, you're going to have the opportunity the next season to play in the Super League of America. That is a national competition. So you would go into a pod as the as as the fir, as the one seed out of the south and you would you would be in a group let's say with a two seed out of the west, three seed out of the midwest, four seed out of the east and that would repeat itself over and over till you had the four groups and that would play out over the course of the next season. Another great benefit that would come out of this setup would be that our teams, our players are playing in meaningful games throughout the year. And they're getting to play in more of them. Another aspect that is really, really nice about this is you are you are now getting fans more accessible to more games. If I'm an Atlanta United supporter and my schedule includes Charlotte, Chattanooga, Nashville, Memphis, Jacksonville, Miami, Orlando, New Orleans, Houston, Dallas, etc., etc., I can get to a lot of those games. And if you don't think people are going to travel like that, they will. It already happens. In college sports, they'll make that one trip a year to Houston. They'll make that one trip a year to Dallas or Austin or San Antonio. And if they don't, someone will. So you would see the away support in these stadiums increase. That just brings more buzz and excitement to each of these games. And by by making the game more accessible to the fans throughout the year, not just home matches, you you are increasing the loyalty, the visibility. You're going to increase TV ratings because more people are going to be watching more often. It makes sense. And for anyone worried about a setup like this with these four super conferences as your de facto first divisions going, well, well, how is L.A. ever going to play Miami? How is New York ever going to play Chicago? I mean, maybe when they do it in the Super League, well, that's one way. That also creates a sense of, you know, uniqueness special this is a special moment it's a special game super league of america you know nycfc is playing sporting kansas city in the super league of america they don't play them every year they may not have played them for four or five years now you've got something that people want to go to it's a hot ticket more demand Another aspect of this is the cups. 
the U.S. Open Cup, as well as a creation of some some form of a a league cup, kind of like what you see the Carabao Cup in in England. You could also create a a leagues style cup that would have some cross super conference matchups. In that tournament, could run every year. All of this is providing more volume of matches. Means deeper squads, better competition, raising the standards across the board. Instead of Major League Soccer doing what it is right now and being the the ceiling, the lid on our growth, the lid on our potential... Instead, what we're doing is we're, we're removing that artificial stopping point and allowing the market to speak. In an open system, instead of just worrying about billionaires, why don't we worry about doing good soccer? I've seen plenty of billionaires not figure out how to do soccer very well. We shouldn't be trying to protect them. We should be trying to force them to learn the business they're in. Surround themselves with better people. If you've got the money, you can find the people to hire. But also open it up to other forms of ownership. The Bundesliga in Germany has some of the most passionate fans in the world. Their clubs are 50% plus one community-owned clubs. The supporters, the community owns the majority of the club. Now, they have many of them. Most of them have corporate partners or individual owners that own a big chunk of the minority percentage. But they're community-owned. I know many who advocate for that model across the board. Personally, I would love to see that that type of model play out, but I wouldn't want it to be the only model. Because I don't think an Arthur Blank should be punished if he wants to own 100% of Atlanta United and he builds a a world-class club. I also think that right now, an FC Barcelona could not exist in the first division of American soccer in this country, and that is a crime. That is a shame that Real Madrid nor FC Barcelona could exist because they are completely supporter-owned clubs. 100%. Not 50% plus one. 100%. So what if a club in Tulsa, Oklahoma, figures it out, builds community support, builds an organization, 100% supporter-owned, and they create an organization that can rise through the ranks and make it to the first division. Why should they not be allowed? They've earned it on the field. They've earned it off the field by being able to operate at a high enough level to reach the first division. Why should they be kept out? And I would argue that they should not be. 
I would say that they should be allowed to do whatever they want to do. They should be able to chase their dreams. And I would love to see this pyramid play out on the men's and the women's side. I don't know why we keep thinking that we've got to sit in an office somewhere and decide where soccer is allowed to succeed. That is the most absurd philosophy I've ever heard. That somehow a group of 5, 10, 15 people can sit in a room and decide what what is allowed or in, in their minds what is best for all of American soccer is absurd to me. If you're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you can build a first-class club, and you can make your way to the top division, men's or women's, why should you not be able to? If you're in Vegas, Memphis, right in the heart of Boston, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Jersey, why could you not, why should you not be allowed to build a first-class club and make it to the top? You want to engage this country with a game? You want, to re- you want to increase the passion level of this game? You want more viewership on TV? More commercial dollars? Tell every city, every club, every community in this country, welcome home. You have access. If you think you can do it, if you think you can build it, go for it. This gatekeeper system is hurting us. We're nowhere near reaching our potential. And we have all these resources and we're not tapping into them. It's, it's so crazy. So when I look at our potential and I look at where we are and, and then you hear these comments about protecting billionaires and MLS, it's so laughable. It's just... It's space logic. It's alien logic. It's just, it's, it's so warped. It's such an inferior mentality. We need champions. We need people that believe. People that believe in the potential of American soccer. People that believe in the freedom, access, and opportunity of every club. That's what we need in this country. When we unleash that potential, the excellence level, the greatness level, the quality level will rise. And for anyone worried about placing Major League Soccer in an open system, if they were to go into a system like this with four super conferences, Let's say you've got 30, 32 MLS teams, American teams. They've all got plenty of of room within these four super conferences and plenty of time and a head start 
They shouldn't be looking at relegation for a very long time. And by then, if you're still worried about relegation, that's your own fault. You've already been given a head start. You've been given the opportunity to profit off the Federation. The Federation has propped you up for almost 20 years. Now you get a head start that might mean another five or 10 years before you're ever even worried about relegation. By the time the pyramid matures and and teams fill in all these slots and relegation would actually start to click in because for now, promotion would be the only thing that would be happening. And you can't figure out a way in 2029 to stay above the relegation zone. And I'm supposed to be worried about that right now and sacrifice the future of every club in America because you might possibly not know how to run the organization that you run right now well enough to stay out of the relegation zone 10 years from now is crazy. Absolutely crazy. What's also crazy is if you have not gone to charitywater.org and read about their story providing clean drinking water to people all over the world changing villages and changing lives you need to do that today charitywater.org and uh, there you will find out more information about getting involved in that story make that story a part of your story at charitywater.org we'll be right back after this No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. show thanks for tuning in on this monday november the 18th i want to close the show out talking about a higher level topic than than even promotion relegation and that's that's a pretty big topic it's a it's it's almost a fifty thousand foot view topic um but it's not quite all the way at the top um it is it is actually 
a system and a philosophy that is affected by what is at the top. And that is management and leadership. And we've talked about this on the show recently, but I want to, I just want to highlight a couple of things. When Carlos Cordero ran for president of U.S. soccer in 2018, he promised a lot of things. He, he promised more transparency. We have not seen that. He promised better management and running of the federation, empowering more people. The gatekeeper system is alive and well. It has not changed. It has not gotten better. Not only that, we still don't have coaches in our youth national teams. We have requirements that have come out about forcing coaches to live in Chicago to coach youth national teams. This weekend, our U23s playing a match and there's no communications from the Federation that a match is about to occur, where to watch it, how to follow it. That news did not even come out till after the match had already begun. Poor management, poor leadership. I'm a believer in the buck stops here. That is a leadership philosophy that says I am responsible. Even if it's not my job, if I am in the top job, it is my job. In regards to the Federation, the top job is president of the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors. They have the ability to hire and fire the CEO Nominate and appoint board members, drive the agenda of the Federation. What we have seen since the 2018 presidential election is multiple lawsuits. We've seen stagnation in our development. We've seen a slipping in inability to update communications not just on social media, but our own, our own Federation website. We've had to have a requirement put into effect at the last AGM to require the board of directors to even publish that they were having a meeting. This Federation, from an operational standpoint, setting aside whatever good intentions or best hopes and wishes has been poorly run for a very long time if you were to do an organizational leadership and operational assessment. It would receive a failing grade. It doesn't listen to its members. In fact, in many cases... It completely ignores the wishes of its members and does what it wants. Many times it does the bidding of its business partner, Major League Soccer. If we're going to get this thing right, we have to have a federation that listens, that leads, that learns. We need a federation that is engaged. 
engaged with the idea that we can be great. The idea that we can be a global power on the men's and women's side that engages with the idea that the women's professional league in this country is not doing enough for the future of our U.S. women's national team. The sport is exploding around the world on the women's side. And we are not doing enough to stay ahead. It may not hurt us today, and it may not hurt us next week or next year, but it is going to catch up with us if we don't address it now. I've said this before. Leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary, and we should be accountable. And when we look at the leaders of this federation, our board of directors, our day-to-day front office personnel. We're not good enough. The leadership level is not high enough. We have been addicted to mediocrity for far too long. Part of that is because we've had too few people allowed to have a voice. We should be trying to welcome in thought leaders innovators, creatives, management executives with experience who can guide us into a bigger, brighter, and better future. Until we embrace this philosophy at the 50,000-foot view no matter what we want, no matter what we aim for, no matter what we try to attain, we will always fall short. We will always struggle to realize our potential. It's time this country has a federation that leads with inclusivity and excellence. If we have that, the sky is the limit. And nothing can stop us from becoming the greatest soccer country on earth. Thanks for watching the show today. I really appreciate it. As always, you can watch on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see everyone again tomorrow. Tomorrow.